are live. Woo-hoo. George, welcome. Hello, my friend. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Giro podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jordan, and I'm joined by a very good friend, uh, George Galbraith, who is Master Baker and is, <laughs> <laughs> and is uh, joining us all the way from the lovely Peak District. Hi, George. Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? I- I'm actually very well today, thank you. Yeah, really good. good. It looks yeah. very sunny where you are. The sun is out. Wow, been, how about it's, it? It's been blue skies for the last like three days. I don't even know what a cloud looks like at the moment. Yeah, we're cloudy today. It's quite annoying. But, uh, I can't I complain. Heard, it's been unbelievable. I heard about some rain in London town. Is oh, that? yeah. It's, oh. it's happening, mate. It's coming. Woof. Can't complain that my, uh, my lawn will get a good, a good watering. <laughs> Suburban life, mate. Yeah. Love, Jessica's got really into mowing our lawn. Oh, it's she's, the best, mate. She's done it once. She now wants to become a gardener. So. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um... <laughs> All right, so thank everybody for listening in uh, once again to another episode. Um, uh, As a a bit of background, George and I have sort of struck up a friendship through Giro. Uh, George um, owns and runs a company called Jam Cycling. And we would often meet up over a beer or a coffee and just chat about the bike industry you know our experiences as two fairly young people trying to run businesses in in the in the cycle industry in in kind of slightly different sectors um and we just always love these conversations so we thought why not uh, include you guys at home in our conversation now i think it's important to put a disclaimer uh, we're having a conversation <laughs> and these are our opinions yes. they are not the written word they are just opinions and we're just having a conversation so we welcome any input and feedback and thoughts as long as they're all positive <laughs> So I threw this idea out to George and he loved the idea and he goes, well, why don't we talk, why don't we use it as a bit of a topic of what's the bike industry, what's the cycle industry going to look like in the next 10 years? And I thought that was a great shout. So um, uh, why don't we, why don't you start, George, with a bit of kind of background to uh, what you have been doing in the cycle industry um, mm-hmm. leading up to Jam and what you were doing before that and how, how your journey as a, as a, you know, kind of uh, young man, got into wanting to work in the cycling industry sure thing good place to start i suppose good place uh, to start <laughs> um so very simply i used to work in uh in a proper job believe it or not in the city okay. many many years ago i worked in the oil industry i had a consultant business um i i moved into cycling because i hated the corporate life mm. uh, and that was mainly to do with i hated the mindset and attitude of most of the businesses i interacted with and subsequently the people in those businesses it was mm. it was draining uh, mm. it, it was compounded by the fact it was big oil you know i worked with big oil companies they all had a very particular mindset and outlook on the world and that sure. didn't, re- didn't really sit nicely with how i wanted to conduct myself Mm. sat nicely with my bank account don't get me wrong so <laughs> I, 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 I was getting paid for my sins but at the same time it, mm. it, it kind of rubbed against the grain of who I wanted to be as an adult yeah. and, and where yeah. I, what I wanted to do with my working life yeah. uh, so I, I sold the interest I had in, in that business and I, um, I, I hopped on my bike I, sp- I started cycling in London probably 10 years ago mm. aiming to get out of the tube was, was mm. my core goal I, I, mm. I borrowed my housemate's bike <laughs> First of all, thinking that bikes and lycra was a bit, bit, yeah. bit, bit yeah. fancy. Oh, bit, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not for me, that, I said, yeah. uh, Dominic. Until one day, I, I didn't want to get in the tube anymore because it was yeah. a sweltering hot summer. So I pinched his bike, yeah. commuted on it, and I never looked back. Yeah, amazing. Um, 
when I sold the interest in my previous business, uh, I jumped, I went on a journey. Uh, I had never done lots of long distance kind of exploring cycling before. I'd been a weekend warrior. I'd done little events. You know, I'd just been getting my toes into the into the scene. I, I bike packed. I bought the original Apertura bags that they first released yeah, like wow. nine or <laughs> 10 years ago, strapped them onto my bike. And I cycled from London to basically just outside of Rome. Um, south, oh, south Italy. wow, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Uh, I didn't I, know that. Yeah, I, I was basically joining a family holiday that was occurring there in two or three weeks' time. And I said, oh, wow. I'll, I'll see you guys there. I'm on sabbatical between between jobs, so I'll just ride. So um, you were doing bikepacking before it was hip? I, I did it before I even knew what it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, wow, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I loved it, to be honest. Yeah. And I, I, because I hadn't really been exposed to the cycling world properly and, mm. you know, bike packing and um, bike racing was like, sorry, bike packing racing, mm. like TCR and things didn't yeah, exist yeah. back then. Yeah. There was no pressure on me to have any yeah. level of performance. I'm not even sure I had Strava. I may mm. have done. I may have done. Um, Strava, yeah, maybe. I, I, I think I did. I think I did have Strava, but... Not many people did at the yeah, time. Yeah, that would have been very early days, yeah. Yeah, and like I said, I did this journey from London to Rome. I took my sweet-ass time. If I only covered 70K in a day because I mm. stopped and chilled out at a farm or decided to have an extended lunch with a few glasses of wine, didn't matter. I think I gave myself four weeks to do it in. I did it in like 17 days to next day in the mountains and just basically fell in love with the sport properly. Really mm. got to know the bike, dealt, yeah. with, dealt with the struggles you deal with when, you yeah. know, cables aren't working because it, yeah, 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 yeah. it was it was a cad 8 mm. like um probably not even altegra at the time st- mm. like basically straight off the shop floor yeah perfect probably spent about 800 quid on it in fact i think i got a slightly damaged one that'd been damaged in a showroom had a dent in the top tube i was like that'll do me perfect yeah love that worked beautifully but anyway through doing that process and getting into riding a bit more and more having been the weekend warrior and stuff i i met somebody on that journey that was working in the cycling industry and needed Mm. somebody of my skills in their business they needed Mm. a a, a sales front they needed someone to run the business Uh, they they were a new and up and coming power meter company looking to distribute world over yeah that kind of fitted very nicely to what i had been doing similarly before but instead of oil with bikes yeah so I did that. I kind of, I basically cycled my way into the cycling industry. That's amazing. Uh, that's, that's yeah. Uh, it seemed quite fitting. It seemed like it all, it all kind of was not meant to be, but it, yeah, mm. it had that kind of element that this feels right. And then, so when you and I first kind of started interacting um, properly, it would have been at that wonderful event that is Revolve. Ah, Brands Hatch. Brands Hatch. And you CCC. were supporting Chris Hall, who's doing a solo 24-hour race. Yeah. And and that was when we first sort of got chatting. I think you had just started uh, Jam. Yes. Um, and I don't know if Chris was involved then or, or not, but uh, that was kind of where our kind of working paths first crossed. Yeah, that, so that was an interesting juncture. So by that point, I'd spent two or three years in the cycling industry, mm. um, head of distribution for this for this power meter brand that had kind of taken me all over the world, setting mm. up distribu- distribution rights. Yeah. Uh, it was a small business, and that the beauty of that meant that I was involved in every facet. Yeah. I was I was part involved with managing the different sales reps all over the world. I was part mm. involved with dealing with engineering every day. I was part mm. involved in dealing with um, the production team, the, the head of the company. So I got a lot of experience into mm. into how it was all working, which suited me down to the ground and my ambition. Mm. After doing that for two or three years, I decided I could best help that company 
and myself by just focusing on one region. Now the network was set up as I, I'm going to concentrate on just the UK. I'm yeah. going to do a good job for this brand in the UK, but I'm also going to add in a few other products alongside it and build my own portfolio. Yeah. So that's where that's where Jam came into play. I, I basically started out as a a little distributor with with one contract on my books, and I wanted to add more contracts to it. And um, yeah, I think at the time you were you would alongside the cafe were doing a similar kind of thing in terms of you had several brands that you had the kind of almost ex, pretty much exclusive rights to for the UK, yeah. right? So I mean, we you know the Giro model, for lack of a better word, was built on essentially building around a, a community of cycling you know and mm. a community of cyclists in the kind of the the, the surrey hills area um and because of that you because it's not didn't have this kind of out and out retail focus you start to you you're very open to what trends are going on within the business sure and we just saw the opportunity really because we love cycling and we were passionate about the brands and and wanted to kind of look good on the bike i want to make sure we were you know kind of you know riding the best bikes um we started working with these brands as a retailer, um, but we realized there was an opportunity to maybe harness that and, and partner with these brands to see their kind of networks increase in, in Europe, which is what we kind of do behind the scenes in Giro and what we still do to this day, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose that's why you and I got chatting because mm. as well as just dealing with the frontline facing parts of our business, we were also yeah. trying to spread our entrepreneurial fingers into, into other areas that overlap yeah. with each other. I, I remember bumping into you in Edinburgh because we'd both oh, been yeah. up ch- chatting. That's right. yeah, We'd been yeah. chatting to different bike shops up in the area and then we were both yeah. in the same coffee shop afterwards. That's right, I forgot about that, how funny. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, God, that was a good trip, that. Um, I suppose, like, one of the reasons I've kind of really valued our sort of friendship and, and, and relationship is that the, you know, from the outs, from the kind of the, from like a, a wider society picture, you know, there's a lot of kind of talk about how retail is on its knees and mm. a lot of doom and gloom messages around the, how the high street is dead. And I've always refuted that. I've said, no, it's not. Like, it's changing, yes, because of our, the, 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 brute strength of online but the high street is certainly not dead Mm. and i suppose um i think that's where you and i kind of really resonated on a on a on a on a working relationship but just on like an individual level as well because we were both trying to run businesses and after that point that you know retail is adapting it's changing but it's a potentially a very exciting future if we play our cards right and if we understand and harness what people buy into and I think that's what I really appreciated about what you were doing with Jam is that you put a personality to to what's essentially a you know distribution business but you Mm. put a personality to it and because of that that breeds a loyalty from customers and also in turn you were then trying to work with a a network of 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 retailers um obviously you can do a better job of kind of saying you know what you were doing but um we were kind of almost going against the grain in some respects of trying to set up uh, retail businesses when everyone's talking about how the retail's debt. Yeah, and it- that's, that's exactly it. Every kind of traditional competitor to a jam at the time, so all of the traditional distributors mm. were trying to think of how on earth they can diversify, how they could have their own online chapters, how they could have their own like brand and identity. Yeah. At the same time, I was busy forming a brand and identity, which I yeah. found very natural, and then yes. trying to get into the retail space yeah. that those Absolutely. guys were already in, uh, which was interesting. I suppose the, the, 
that's why the topic of this conversation today is, you know, what does the industry look like in 10 years? In 10 years. I think it's something that you and I have always focused on whenever we've spoken is, you know, take stepping back and looking at the bigger picture, what yeah. trends are occurring, because yeah. there are difficulties involved in the whole aspect. Retail mm. is highly nuanced at the moment. There are success areas and there are a lot of big black holes to fall into. Absolutely. Um, so, yes, I mean, Jam, Jam had that journey and we did that for two or three years and we, we really enjoyed it. I mean, the the reality of it is, is that Brexit dealt us a pretty hard blow in terms mm. of the retail sector was already on its knees. Mm. Um, but again, as we said, there was opportunity if you knew where to look. Mm. Over the couple of years that we were doing that and, and the Brexit arguments were raging on, we found that consumer spending was changing. Yes. Uh, and so the retail sector was finding it even harder. And that made it that made it very difficult for an emerging business in that space to be able to compete. Um, mm. So I mean, over the years, we have now kind of changed and recently relaunched Jam as just the brand, which was mm. always the, the second strand of the business. Mm. We've now just focused on just the brand and ourselves, and we're actually laying aside the distribution area mm. and purely because it's, it, it's one of those things that it became too challenging mm. um, to mm. kind of maintain in the way that we'd put it, we'd put it together. Mm. But we were robust enough as a business. We were diverse enough that we could just pursue the, the brand element. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, just to kind of add to that, I know that you recently put up a video mm. um, on your YouTube channel about that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think what I'll do is I'll link that below because I think it mm. is an interesting journey for people to Thank kind you. of understand. And from my standpoint, not only as a friend, but also as a, as, as a, you know, a business partner, I guess, I really appreciated your honesty mm. in that. And because, you know, what you're saying was very real, um, you know, like you guys, I think, I love what Jam stood for, yeah. um, and and still stands for, which is mm. which more importantly. Um, but given all the factors, I, I think that well, I very much appreciate your honesty with it, because um, you're just saying, look, this is what happened, and we move on, and we move on with our heads held high, and we go on to something else and something new. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think we like to think that we were pursuing an, a noble route when we started out in that we wanted to be working with retailers. We wanted to be working with independents. We weren't yeah. pursuing kind of like the slightly easier money in selling at short margins to the wiggles of the world. Yes. We, we, wanted to work with, we wanted to work with bricks and mortar bike mm. shops. You know, the good people that are out there mm. earning their hard graft on the high street. Yeah. Uh, the, yes, the, the, the problem came, as, as I explained in the video, that it's just after a while if you're trying to grow an, a small business in that space, it became very, very difficult. Very, it is very, it, it, it is very difficult, it, yeah. And I was getting tired and worn thin and feeling bad chasing independent businesses that, mm. owed, that, owed, that owed money mm. when I knew full well they were just as hard pushed. Yeah, um, you know, th th They were having a bad time, which is why they were mm. struggling to pay bills. And mm. I, I didn't want to be the guy knocking on their door going, mm. excuse me, could you, you sort mm. out this relatively small invoice, which mm. means a lot to me. Mm. Um, I'd rather not be bringing that, that pressure on top of people all the time. So yeah. we, um, yeah, but we had that pivot away. And like I said, I explain it in the, in the YouTube video. And that YouTube video was, was received super well. You know, yeah. probably, probably the best video we, we've ever done. Jess, my partner and I, we started a YouTube channel when we moved out of London. Uh, and the reason we did that is because we wanted to retain our community of mm. kind of like being involved in bike riding, which when you're in central London, 
It's easy. You go to Regent's Park every morning. You sit down with 30, you have a coffee with 30 different people on the same day and you have a chat yeah. and you're, you're in the community all the time. When we left London, we didn't want to lose that aspect. So we started mm. documenting our journey as a YouTube channel. Um, I think we're, we're actually just releasing our 50th video today. Oh, cool. That's um, exciting. But, but the, the best of all of them has been the one you referenced yeah. where, where we talk about the struggles of the business yeah. in the most honest way I could. It, it took me probably three months to find the right words to portray that in the most honest fashion because i mean look and and i think that's why i kind of mentioned that i appreciate your honesty with it because i know a lot of people are asking oh you know where's jam gone Mm. and from someone who's you know also running a independent business in the cycle you know industry yes we have a coffee shop um but you know it's kind of still very cycle centric and my i very much say i work in the cycle industry yeah it's just uh, the majority of people with everyone's absolute best intention do not really understand what a struggle it is to run a a small business and Mm. and um you know like you i mean we as a cafe we are we will be open six seven years in october which is nice which, which is great yeah but I don't think people really understand the true cost of that, not only from a financial standpoint, but also from a personal standpoint. Like it really does take its toll. And the the successes are seeing the people interacting with, with the cafe, seeing people interacting with the brands that you're working with and really feeling a part of it. That is a success. And that's what makes all those stresses worthwhile. Mm. But it's not, you know, we're not just some kind of runaway roaring success. We have to really, really fight hard for it. And you know, there have definitely been times and moments where I've kind of gone, is this, is this a worthwhile, you know, cause? And that might be a surprise to people, but it's very yeah. true. And I know I've spoken to you honestly about that. Um, mm. It's one of those things I, I regularly have a little check in with myself and I, mm. I look back to George up in the city 10 years ago wearing his suit and tie and mm. busy pillaging various people for oil plunder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but well, I, I look back, oh, would I rather be doing that right now? Yeah. Because in the state I'm in for the for that in that small business mode for the day, mm. something things can be very, very, very stressful, yeah. uh, almost unnecessarily so for mm. the amount of benefit you get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, now the things that we enjoyed the most, I think you resonate with this a lot, where you've got that strong community and the yeah. feedback and people really digging what you do. The amount of times people have turned around and said, God, I love I love what your business does. I love the content. I love the energy. I love the Mm. the attitude. Those are the things we found most rewarding. So Mm. those are the things that we have kept in the business and Mm. those things only. Everything Mm. else we basically parked and pushed aside and we basically reshaped it to retain that stuff, which makes it a lot Mm. easier for us to get out of bed every day and and, um, yeah, do what we do. That's great. It rounds nicely into the discussion of Mm. what does the cycling look like in the next 10 years, the cycling industry, because... It's one of those things that you have to have a certain measure of adaptability to you. Yeah, if if yeah. you start out on a journey with a rock hard, fast plan and no no wiggle room and no no ability to pivot, mm. you're you're quite likely going to crumble. I mean, mm. the, the coronavirus times are upon us, and I think that's yeah, it, that's going to really shine a light on those that don't have flexibility in their system. Yeah, it's a. It, I mean, that, it's a really great. Um, reference point really because across all sectors whether it be retail or leisure or Mm. or or, or hospitality you are seeing those brands come to all those those yeah brands businesses come to the fore that are being very that can very quickly adapt 
to what's going on. I mean, my wife is upstairs at the minute teaching an online Pilates class. Nice. Which is great, you know. Yeah. So it was the, the reality of, okay, we cannot access our studio, but our customers are important to us. And it's not about the money. Like, that, that, that's the thing. It's, it's about keeping those customers a part of your business. Yeah. Um, and so they're doing it. So all their instructors are running either group classes or one-on-one classes using Zoom or Skype or all these things. Sure. Yeah, great. So you referenced something earlier on, um, you know, about maybe how people think it's quote unquote easy to kind of mm. like run a business. Um, and I think that's as from a cycling industry standpoint, in the last 10, 15 years, we saw a huge boom. And I've been, I've been cycling, you know, kind of fairly seriously for, oh, I don't know, 15, 16 years. So I definitely saw the rise of that. And, you know, it was kind of the, the culmination of that was definitely around the, 2012 Olympics um, but even leading up to that you know we had Mark Cavendish who won sports personality and it was cycling was definitely coming to the fore of of the kind of the the, the, the human psyche yeah and so because of that you had a lot of you had a lot of new brands come to market but you had also traditional cycling brands that were really reaping the rewards not only from bikes but kit and apparel you had a lot of new apparel brands starting um, and stores were doing very well that also coincided with a, a, a small handful of big online retailers coming in and dominating the market mm. which had a, a a big impact you know and that's just not in cycling that's we see that across the board and this is where kind of maybe our conversation continues and um because that's just the way it is like on, online is there for a small retailer they can't be frustrated about that. They have to adapt. That's just the society we live in. Mm. We live in an information and technology age and it's just going to be there. And whilst we might not like it, it's just the way it is. Um, so what can you build on? And I suppose that's where it's not quote unquote easy. Yeah. That is where you really need to, to look at the future to say, okay, what are the important things that our kind of our society, the cycling industry, what do we need to be focusing on? And what part can I play to, to harness that? And what part can I play to help cultivate that to make sure that this industry is healthy moving forward? Yeah, it's, and it's interesting because I think, you know, when I first posed the question to myself a couple of days ago before we had this conversation, what does the cycling industry look like in, te- in 10 years? I thought there are three facets that kind of answer the question and they're all, yeah. in t- all completely and entirely linked, even though they yeah. are quite separate to each other. The first mm. part is what state is the pro sport in? Right? Yep. The second part is what's, what does retail look like? Mm-hmm. And the third part is what mode is the customer in, the consumer? And I think mode is the right word for the consumer. You know, mm. are, are they moving towards the the more kind of counterculture part of the sport? Are they coming mm. back to racing? You know, what what mode are they in? Because that very much mm. dictates what where they're spending the money, therefore which companies are thriving and therefore which mm. things are going to be pushed more to the fore. Mm. And when, when we think about it as a, an overall picture, you know, those three things knit together so tightly but you can't really see where they knit together, but they are inextricably linked, I think, to what the industry looks like in 10 years' time. If you wind the clock back 10 years, when when I was just kind of probably seven or eight years when I was just getting into the industry, everyone was talking about the push to online, push to on time, Mm. the strength of online, quite Mm. rightly. If you're a business now and and you're not 
good online if you're not yeah. up to speed with online you're already mm. seven or eight years behind the curve I, I'm, yeah. I'm not talking about that i'm talking about what's the next curve coming seven yeah. or eight years down the road you know if, if if you're if you're a small little business and you you don't make a decent percentage of your sales online you you're a dinosaur i'm, I'm afraid it, it, mm. and you have to assume that the dinosaur kind of at some point is going to roll over and become extinct and um, yeah the, the the exception to that would be workshops um but that is but that is a that's a with a, that is a small part i mean it's a part that every cyclist should be interacting with because they need to keep their bikes healthy yeah yeah but yeah. that is a small part of 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 the kind of the cost of you know kind of keeping your bikes healthy moving forward yeah definitely but you know again workshops i think are undermined quite a lot by brands you know brands mm. are doing everything they can to build you a bicycle that has got their name on all the components right that yeah. a brand wants to sell you a complete bike it, it mm. wants to have its name on the frame on the wheels on all the drive chain parts it basically wants everything to be built in their factory and for you to not have to change anything and for the yeah. longevity and to basically ride that bike until it kind of doesn't work and then you go and buy yeah. new one brands don't really want to having to go to a workshop that often i think they're going to try and improve the efficiency of their the manufacturing so that you don't go to the workshop as much yeah yeah that's interesting um yeah it's very interesting and i suppose that's maybe mimicking the car yeah uh, the car industry you know exactly you don't go and buy a volvo that's got wheels Mm. made by a different brand slapped on the side of it do you really and and how many people go and change the wheels on their car Mm. an exceptionally small percentage that you know if you you can't name a big bike brand these days that doesn't produce their own everything Mm. with the exception Mm. of gear shifting um I suppose the one sort of counter to that would be, and maybe this, maybe we're kind of skipping a few points, but it's worth kind of mentioning your third point about what mode is a customer in. Mm. I think we've seen this accelerated in with this Corona nineteen, as in everyone's using this hashtag support local. Mm. And I think maybe because of the last, let's say, let's say ten years of this kind of cycling boom, um, and I'm calling it a boom because that we can't we're not seeing any numbers decreasing but we're not seeing it continuing to rise as in the number of people involved in it it's plateaued but that's 10 years of involvement yes i think because of that their understanding of the industry and their understanding of the importance of those local stores i think is more at their forefront and that's and it's basically reflecting what is part of our kind of wider society so people will go to out of their way to support the local workshop or mm. to sort support the local bike shop or the local coffee shop or whatever it is because they're getting a an internal reward for playing their part yeah 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 it, yeah it's and it's interesting isn't it I, i'm a big advocate as you can imagine of the whole support local uh, and support support small businesses mentality mm. but i would also mm. caveat that by saying support the businesses that you want to see present you know you, yeah. you want to see thriving in two years yeah. from now three years from now yesterday i i needed to replace uh the cleats my, my shimano yeah. cleats on my shoes I, I knew it was on the way out and in, in the middle of a ride yesterday it it buck it, it went basically mm. it was unclipping mm. all the time as these things mm. do and i had a very conscious decision of oh i could probably i could get home i can order myself a new pair on you know wiggle or sigma or anywhere i wanted to probably arrive in three or four days fine probably Mm. cost me a tenner 
Mm. Or I can nip into the bike shop I'm cycling past in two minutes and pick some up from Mm. there. Probably cost me 20 quid. I did the latter because I wanted that bike shop to still be here in two years' Mm. time, three years' time, Mm. six months' time when Mm. I've got a problem with the bicycle and I want want them to be able to fix it. So I think, yeah, support local is, is very valid. As long as the people local to you are serving you in a way that yeah. you're happy with you don't have to go yeah. and support them if you think they're rubbish if, if yeah. every time you go in there they're they're, they're not very good at, at dealing yeah. with you they're not very good at the service side they don't have anything yeah. you want we mm. we as a as a group we we can talk with our wallets mm. in a strange way and mm. i think that will only help to enhance the industry and that the ones mm. that are doing a good job should be rewarded yeah, I agree. And things that the I, things that unfortunately haven't caught up and aren't doing quite as good job, they they need to adapt, or they will or they will be eaten up by the capitalist market and, and come out with something different. And of course, there's an emotional there's an emotional sadness to that. Mm. But the reality is that's business, yes. and that's re- that's really challenging. Yes. Um, and you know, I, I suppose maybe this is where the cycling aspect of it is becomes equally or becomes even more difficult to kind of wrestle with that fact is because it's such a passion hobby yeah so and that's often why people go into start a business in the cycling industry because they love it yeah i knew i knew that i i reached a point where i felt as though i have to do this as in i just had this kind of resolve in my heart (laughs) that i just had to kind of do this and i was not prepared for how difficult it was going to be truly yeah but it was because i was so passionate about it and i saw the opportunity of you know harnessing that community um, but you, but it can't stop there. And the moment that you kind of sit back on that, you're you know you're gonna it, it, it's gonna cause some difficult times. You cannot be complacent. So I mean, th- this speaks really well to the to point two in in my list is what does retail look like uh, right yeah. now and going forward for the next five ten years? And, and mm. I think the coronavirus brings it into a really interesting um, kind of way of looking at it because essentially, if I was a, sh- a shop owner right now, mm. lots of them very nobly are staying open to service bikes to make sure that people need that who need to ride places be it nurses or doctors or whatever they can ride to where they need to go key workers mm-hmm. in various industries a lot of them commute by bike yeah All right that said however if you're staying open as a business like that the amount of support you can get from the government is on the very very low end yeah. and the amount of money you're going to make from um servicing those bikes is yeah. right on the bottom end of your of your margins right so True. i mean it's it's one of those things i'm looking to go oh, if i owned a bike shop right now sure i could help fix a few nurses buckled wheels or would my business be better served by shutting up shop and yeah. taking the various bailouts that are in place so i survive mm. and i'm still here in six months time mm. that must be a really hard dilemma especially because yeah. most people who get into the cycling industry are almost too guy too kind too good-natured yeah. and too good-hearted yeah. that they will yeah. do something for others to the detriment of their own business and themselves. And that is, and truthfully, that is something that I've had to learn. Mm. Um, and it took me, realistically, it took me a couple of years to figure that out. I need to have my business head screwed on. And if there's things that I'm not understanding or things that I'm not very good at, I need to make sure I'm bringing in the right people to be able to do that. Because even though I can romanticize about the importance of community and the importance of all that, which I absolutely 100% believe in, like it is my burning passion. If I don't have the business acumen to back that up, or if I haven't surrounded myself with the people that have that basic acumen, Mm. it's never going to work. It's It's never going to work. One of the things that I've 
been very proud of since I kind of gone through this change with Jam is I took several months to reflect on all the main yeah. decisions I made. And yeah. everyone I looked at would normally... It, 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 where I've looked at a decision and it hasn't gone the way I hoped it would or it's, mm. gone, it's gone badly, it's normally mm. been down to me not mm. saying no to something. It's, 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 it's right, normally yeah. down to me going, oh, yeah, mm. go on then, you know, take another two months to pay that invoice. Or, oh, yeah, fine, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll do this for you, even though I know mm. I'm not going to get a return out of it. Or, go on then, mm. yeah, I'll help you out with this, even though it's completely sideways to what I wanted to be doing. It, so so rarely has it been uh, a genuine mistake to do something. It's normally because I've been a bit too... Yeah. It's not soft. What am, I, what am I trying to do there? In the cycling world, we're all trying to be friendly, right? We're all trying to, mm. we're trying to help each other out. Yeah. I've not been strict enough with myself. I've not had my business hat on enough. That's where, that's what the and route we, is. We've, you know, with our, some of our partners that we work with, you build friendships with them. Mm. You know, I feel very fortunate to be, to call a lot of my business partners friends. Um, and I'm obviously very fortunate to be working in an industry that I really love. You know, I'm very passionate about it. But that is a real challenge. And when that kind of boundary crosses between friendship and business, that's a really difficult one to tread. Entirely. You need those, you need those friendships because you want to build that trust and you want to kind of build that community and all that. Um, but for the long run of a business, I can't think of many other industries that would be that, you know, kind of forgiving, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so again, you know, when we think about point two here, what, what do we think the retail part of cycling industry will look like in a few years? I think a lot of it needs to be a lot tougher with itself. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, yeah. The, the, the big companies are good at doing it and they will, you know, they'll, they will bleed you dry. And again, mm. you know, if you look at the, the, the top companies in our industry by revenue, and that's because most of it is by revenue because yeah. most of their profits yeah. are absolutely null and void. Um, yeah, nothing, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're exceptionally good at doing a pretense of being big corporate business and kind yeah. of keeping on top of everything. Mm. There's a whole wealth of the smaller independents below that, that mm. if they were stricter with themselves mm. and with each mm. other, they would probably mm. benefit from that. So, uh, so this is a really great this is a really great part of the conversation and one that I feel immensely sort of you know passionate about and and one that I've certainly made some mistakes in as well um but for, from my standpoint uh if you know to kind of get kick off this kind of part of the conversation around retail I believe that the future of retail has to be very cleverly structured around the heart of a community and so let me, I'll, I'll extrapolate around that so in the last few years, we've seen across all sectors a huge growth in online. Mm. And, and the reason is because it ticks a lot of boxes. It's very convenient. Um, you know, we're sat here with, in the middle of this corona um, epidemic. I mean, you just have to look at the stats on, on, on online retailers, yeah. like an Amazon, for example. Mm -hmm. It's going through the roof. Mm -hmm. They're recruiting more people into their warehouses. They're recruiting more drivers because it's, it's, it ticks a lot of boxes. If you can't go anywhere, you go and online and spend. Amazon share um, Amazon share price hit an all time high yesterday. Yeah, it, I'm not it, surprised. It's it, it, it's it it's gone down with the with the crash of the market, and it's gone straight back up again. It is right straight, on straight top. back up, and then higher because yeah. it's it is a, it is a value to people. And I, I don't I don't think I don't think that should be. Um, I don't think people should feel angry about that. I think that's just the, that's just the age we live in. Mm. And they've done that model incredibly well and credit to them. You know, they've, they've, uh, anyway, however, and with all that 
online development in all sorts of ways. I mean, look, we're seeing things with house party apps and Zoom and all these things sure. that if you cannot have face-to-face, there are, there's amazing technology out there. However, there is something about human interaction, as in face-to-face, in-person human interaction, that I believe can never, ever, ever be replaced. No matter how many... You and I are speaking at the moment mm. on Skype. Yeah. And I think we're doing a pretty damn good job, if I'm honest. Yeah. We're, we're looking good. <laughs> yeah. But... This is this would be a very different conversation if we were, uh, you know, sat next to each other, you know, over a coffee or over a beer. There's just a, a, a human element that I think is that will never, ever be replaced. Mm. And that's why that's why I say the high street is not dead, because the, I think the high street has to be built around that fact that humans need to interact with one another. 100%. Whether that be around a coffee shop yeah. or a pub or a retail experience or whatever. With all that said that needs to be done in a very clever manner mm. so that people can partner with the online side of things, can complement if necessary, the on side of things. Um, and I think online has a responsibility to help nurture that face-to-face high street, yeah. quote unquote, yeah. uh, community. Um, and I think the two can go hand in hand, but it does require um, a lot of clever thinking. And I think we're only really in the the starting place of that kind of symbiotic relationship. Yes, I mean, when I, when I think about it, I think you're completely right. The, if, if you're to break down who spends money in the cycling industry, you know, what does that mm. customer look like? Mm. There's people that spend out of necessity because they need yeah. their bike for travel to work or some such. Yeah the bulk of people spend because they love riding their bike. Now, that doesn't yeah. matter if they love it because they're competing at the local time trial, whether they're doing the local club run on a Saturday morning. It doesn't matter. They're doing it because of the love of doing it. Mm. If it's a passion spend as opposed to a necessity spend, then mm. you want to do it in a way that is going to be as rewarding. Every time you spend money, you want to be rewarded for doing so. You're going to spend yes. it with businesses that make you feel good about your sport, make you feel good yes. about what you're doing, because you don't need to spend that money. You know you don't mm. need to spend that money. Businesses that are high street focused and want to be high street focused, if they're not really dialed in on the service element you know, the smile on the face, the having a chat mm. over a coffee, the, you mm. know, the, the consultative parts mm. of, of sales, if they've not got that bit spot on and your customer doesn't walk out the door with a massive beaming smile, having, mm. you know, enjoyed a chat and a bit of gossip about something, mm. if you're not doing that, I think you're really going to struggle in whatever retail looks like in the future. It's, yeah. That's where bike fitting businesses are, are kind of like a, a brilliant example of how a service product could look because not only is the customer that's in there paying you for your time and doing something with you, which Mm. which is amazing, you've got them one-on-one to have a chat for an hour to, you know, I've had bike fits sometimes that last three hours. The entire time that business is talking to you about Mm. things that you're interested in. You're gossiping Mm. about the pro sport. Mm. You're talking about new products. They're adding value the whole time. Most people walk out of a bike fit having been upsold left, right and center on stuff that's going to make them feel better about riding their bike. And it's that element of the relatability and enjoyment service side that somehow needs to get woven into 
everything mm. else that is high street focused. People need to have a reason and want to come and, and chat and gossip with you. And if you're not mm. giving them that reason, if you're not hosting a club run that's a nice mm. gossipy coffee or beer afterwards, if, if you're mm. not doing uh, an evening event, if you've not if you're not got a nice friendly sales um, person stood on the shop floor to, to have a natter, Mm. You're going to lose out because it's so much more convenient to go and get that product online at yeah. two thirds of the price. Yeah. Um, so and, and, and so so following on from that, I believe that there are many stores that do that very well. Mm. That have a a brand that people can feel a part of, and they proudly wear their jerseys yeah. or the t-shirts or the mugs or all those things. That then comes into that having that business acumen and having that kind of or that business mindset um, or business support if you don't have it yourself yeah. to make sure that, that business is sustainable. Mm. So, so the retail side of things, one of the things that we've come up against quite a lot in some of the work that we do with our brands and even brands that approach us is they're very, very quick to offer sale a return. So that gives, so essentially for people who don't understand what that means, which I'm sure would be few of you, but they'll say, look, here's as much kit as you want um, you only pay for us, you only pay us for the kit that you sell. And at the end of the season, we'll take everything that you have back. Um, it's a win-win. Yeah, you don't owe us a penny if you don't you sell don't it. You don't owe us a penny. Now, I, I take unbelievable issue with that. And, <laughs> that's, just, and that, is something, that is something that as, as, as a rule of how I kind of conduct myself, and not only with Jiro as a retailer, but also with the distribution work that I do, we don't do that. And the reason being is that I don't believe in the long run that is helping a business. And I believe that that is giving a full sense of security to a business. Because if the business understands its custom base, they should understand and know this is my selling potential. Mm. So actually, I can only sell this amount of kit. So I'm only going to buy this amount of kit. And understanding the risk, there is a risk in retail. Like you have to expose yourself. Yeah. And if you're not willing to expose yourself, you then put your, putting your hands into other brands who don't really care about you mm. they actually i mean i'm speaking generally but uh, but you know um you know go go with it they actually they're only caring about market share so they can see that oh they've got all these stores on it yes but how many of those stores are paying you money yeah not a lot and then you're left in the position as a as, as a brand that at the end of the season you've got a bunch of stock that you thought that you'd sold but you actually hadn't sold yeah. that you now have to discount yeah and just feeds into that unsustainability of the industry and i would rather focus on making sure that Jiro plays its part in being a sustainable business mm. and working with sustainable brands as opposed to being greedily after market share no matter the cost does that make sense it entirely does me to, to give you an anecdote based exactly on this i reckon i've probably been in 90 percent of the bike shops in this country uh, yeah. Just for just for my time in distribution and, and kind of doing sure. that, there's there's some that I haven't been in, but they probably weren't target bike shops. You know, there are more kind of uh, more workshops and kind of commuter bikes and kids bikes and stuff. Most other places that sell bikes and high end gear, yeah. I've been in, and I remember being in in one of the best looking bike shops in the country, slap bang in the middle of central London in in the St Paul's district. You might know which one it is, and. They've got mm. an entire wall measured in like measured in meters, probably tens of meters mm. of cycling clothing. And mm. I remember chatting with them one day, and the entire wall was mm. on sale or return. Like it must have been 
yeah, yeah. tens of thousands of pounds of garments that they had no pressure on them as a, as mm. a business to sell. If people come in and yeah. want to buy it from them, great. They're mm. making some margin. If people don't, well, they're mm. not. They're just going to box it back up and send it back mm. to the... Um, oh, they also had change of sizing and stuff. If if a customer wanted a size that wasn't on the rail, the the mm. big business that was backing it would do. Now the the problem with that is that mm. them as a business, they became very lackadaisical, very soft at actually selling items. That that they, they, they almost kind of like sort of taught themselves mm. out of selling things most of the time um, because it. There was there wasn't the pressure on there, and it's it, it's a very strange mentality. The mm. businesses that have got a lot of stock on sale or return. There's so many companies out there. You wind the clock back three or four years ago, they said they wouldn't touch sale or return with a barge pole. But now they're up to their elbows in it because they've had no yeah. choice. Uh, I think it's a I think it's a big old weakness. You know, we've just been through this. You know, kind of well, we're in the middle of this Corona thing, and what, what some brands mm. have done in response to this has gone on sale. And they're essentially, they were reacting. And so they were making a business decision, whether that be around trying to sell stock or kind of sell market share. I'm not going to comment on a brand's um, desire to maybe offer sale a return, as an example, um, mm. because they want to, you know, see more of their kit sold. I kind of get that. The frustration is not around the, the, those individual brands. The frustration is around, in the long run, this is not good for the industry. And it's something yes, that I do agreed. feel very passionate about. And because I've seen so many retailers, I mean, I mean you know, we've been caught out with, you know, a couple of brands that we've offered terms to, mm. um, or sort of a couple of retailers that we've offered terms to. And, you know, they've gone on to, you know, kind of, I'm very sadly shut up shop. Yeah. If they, had, that, had, yeah. If they had had that courage, maybe that's the right word. If they had that kind of strength of mind to say, actually, we cannot afford to take this level of stock then that's a different story. Mm. Um, but if they had the understanding of actually where their business was, then it, that's, that's a, you know, you can harness and focus on those things that really work as opposed to trying to do all things. And that's a difficult one. That is a very difficult conversation. And look, Giro has not got that right. We've, be, we've, there's been times when we've put so much into kind of kit and we've left ourselves, oh, crap like we've got so much stock tied up in that and we were just you know trying to be greedy really yeah and yeah. it wasn't reflective of actually where our business is and and you know so we've had to change things over time and learn from our mistakes but and we've been fortunate enough that we've been able to do that some places aren't able to do that and yeah i mean i always try to make a point in never doing sale at return on yeah. anything mm. uh, they be, be, being very honest there was a point uh, probably a year or two ago where i elevated some of our kind of like most trusted accounts mm. you know a handful of them mm. to to being on sale or return uh, and we because we, we wanted to have more of our product on the shop floor that i knew they didn't didn't have the upfront cash for so you know let's do a whole range of this stuff you know, give us a nice space get it on sale or return in there because they had a good track record of selling our products. Mm. Worst decision I ever made. Mm. Hands down the worst decision, mm. or one of the worst decisions I ever made. You end up with all, you end up with 90% of it coming back to you. Mm. If not more than 90, or some of it getting lost and damaged in the yeah. middle of it, and you yeah. end up getting out less than what you'd given out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that I, 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 I remember sitting down and reviewing this the other week and being like, oh God, I'm glad I only did this in two or three places as opposed to, you know, across and, the board. And the thing, the thing that just, go, it just seems so, like you can understand, you can understand the reasoning and the rationale behind it. But from a, from a you know, distributor or a brand standpoint, you get very, and I suppose this is what the industry 
can or any industry i guess but in particular the psych industry can be very good at is they can be very reactive as yeah. opposed to proactive and you end up just being busy idiots and what i mean <laughs> what i mean is that is you're 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 doing so much stuff for no return like the the hassle of packing and shipping everything out and then getting everything back in and then reinventorizing <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah yeah doing that yeah for no return it just yeah. There are other businesses that be looking at you going, or other kind of industry, industry sectors kind of going, what are you doing? Like that is just, it's just not productive. And that's the key thing that I think is very useful is to compare and take take out the fact that we're working in the cycling industry, something we love and we're passionate about and blah, 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 and look at it just the cold, hard facts of it. If somebody else from another industry was to step in and look at it, Mm. would they just laugh at you? Mm. Yeah, they probably would. Why on earth are you doing that, you muggles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's interesting, isn't it? So it, to kind of like put a wrap on what does retail look like and, and maybe touch base and come at some of the others and look mm. at the overlap. I mean, it's I think the thing that has been very interesting to see and I think has a place in the future of retail is the concept store. Mm. Right. So the, the the initial example is let's take a specialized concept store. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Is it called the S Works concept store? I don't know. I'm not sure. The, the, the concept store that specialized only in Covent Garden. Mm. That is an example of whereby, although it's expensive retail footage to own, mm. you're putting yourself out there as a brand that a consumer can come and touch, look, feel, interact, gossip, you know, be inspired by your brand. You're giving them an experience. You're giving them an experience. You're then, the customer's then going away. And as specialised, you don't care if they buy in that store mm. from their local specialised dealer, online for a specialised dealer, online direct for specialised. You don't care because you know for well you've delivered them an experience. Their percentage chance of purchasing from you has gone up yeah. greatly by having that experience. Mm. I think the more places you can see that, the better. And that's actually where, I don't know if you think about it in these terms, Juro is effectively a concept store for the bike brands you represent. People yeah. can come in and experienced curve, touch it, ask questions, look at it, go on a demo day and go and yeah, ride it. Exactly. They then they then will hopefully come and buy through your portal, mm. direct with curve or whatever, but yeah. they've had that experience that makes them more likely to purchase. Yeah. Now, the thing that I would like to add on top of this that I think is a, perhaps a prediction for the future if Canyon dial in the ability to have a concept stores mm. concept stores yeah. littered around where their experiences sorted out but then their fulfillment and purchasing is still taken care of in the current way that it is i mm. think you will see them absolutely rocket up from their already pretty good trajectory to yeah, go even an, higher it's an interesting one that because you know i mean obviously canyon you know a lot of bike shops you know love to kind of slate them because they've kind of undercut and they have Mm. They've, but they've just been very smart about it and they've they they've, they've harnessed a um an opportunity and they're running with it so yeah you know if if you were an outside investor and you wanted mm. to invest in our industry you'd be looking at them as a great example you, and, you you'd know, be from, seriously considering that from my standpoint as you know the the old romantic cyclist you know oh it's not how it should be done but look from a business standpoint they've done exceptionally well and Obviously, i entirely what, agree what, yeah you're right what they haven't been able to harness and attach to just by their model alone is that local community um Mm. where people can feel a part of it and and that is where i just think brands need to be thinking um uh and i think customers need to have a a physical reference point um for their customer base and Yeah. yeah i think some people have done it very well um i think 
what I don't think that has to change with regards to that that retail side of things or bricks and mortar retail things to flourish is the cost of the high street I think will yeah. I think will start to come down um, I would like to think it will come down because we are seeing empty high streets that's that's the fact mm. but we are seeing an absolute rise in independent restaurants independent coffee shops um, and people who are willing to kind of take a punt and I, I, I think they're I mean, look, look at what's happened with this coronavirus. You know, the first thing that the government wanted to protect was the high street because they saw it is, it is at, at risk because yeah. it's so expensive and you need to be selling a lot of units or, you know, a huge amount of turnover. Um, I mean, look, you know, we, we run a coffee shop. We have to sell a lot of coffees to make that work. Um, and that, <laughs> yeah. that that's, you know, is, is then supported by the retail side of things. But it is, you know, it's still a real challenge. Yeah. Um, so. no, no. I think this all ties nicely into kind of what I put as point three. It yeah. doesn't really matter which order these are in. But no, no. As I, put, I put it the way I think about it. point three. What mode is the consumer in? Mm. Right now, I'll explain later on why I think that's partially driven by what state the sport's in. But mm. if we look at for a moment what mode the consumer is and relate it to the point we're just closing up, what does retail look like? Mm. The place that retail falls down is when they haven't got a good gauge, taken the temperature of where the consumer is at. What is on trend? You know, Mm. are they making things Mm. that people want to buy? Yeah. You know, are they stocking things or are they they still got they still carrying loads and loads of stock of things that are actually people have moved on from that color or that type of riding or that Mm. style and we're onto something new you know it's very hard to unplug yourself from that thinking in retail especially if you're looking at a pile of stocks out on the shelves but and especially if it's been working so well yes yes indeed but so that's where i think it's so important to have a a vision on what mode is the the consumer in Mm. i think we've gone through a big sweeping transition the last kind of like five or six years where it was, it was all racing, 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 Team Sky, the success that you could see in mm. front of you mm. in, in the UK cycling industry, mm. especially. Um, at, and now it seems to be swinging towards counterculture, off-road, gravel, mm. adventure, you know, mm. the, the other, the stepping away from the kind of like the, the pro element of the sport. Bibs Everybody and t-shirts, na- mate. Bibs yeah, and t-shirts. Bibs and tees. Everybody now wants one bike that does everything yeah. and that includes going off on the trails mm. as opposed to five, six years ago where everybody oh, you're, had You're talking a about road. a curve. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, curve. yeah, of course, yes, yes. If you haven't seen those, it's a great dealership, I know. Um, but but, but that's, that's the thing. A lot of people are in that mindset, whereas you wind back five years ago, everybody wanted a yeah. racing bike, a training bike, a crit bike, a TT bike, a track bike, and then an off-road type solution as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's, it, it's what I think the mode of the consumer is driven by how long the consumer has been in that sector for. You know, Mm. I'd say the bulk of people that are bike riders today, at least the ones that spend money in the industry, which is how we can quantify, they have been riding, they started riding sometime in the last 10 years. Yeah. Right? I think that's just a fact. They have been inspired by Cavendish, Wiggins, Team Sky, success at the Olympics, and then they've got into bike riding. The stats prove that. Yeah, yeah. They've now been in this sport for quite a mm. long time. They're now a bit yeah. long in the tooth. They now mm. are not as susceptible to having the wall pulled over their eyes. They are smarter. They are more informed. They yeah. are, they're, they're, an informed they're an informed consumer. Their tastes have matured. They've mm. done a little bit of everything. They've done the grand fondo scene. They've done the, the, the week-long challenge in the high mountains. They've done a bit of category racing, whatever. Mm. 
they they end up doing the thing probably that they enjoy the most, riding with their mates, having fun yeah. on their bike. Mm. So it's it, does industry, do the businesses have a good grasp of where the bulk of the consumer is up to and what's driving their interests? Mm. Um, and I think that's a really, that's where you're seeing the rise of, and I know you love this, the key things that I find the most exciting, the small community-led independent companies that are making mm. cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 thankfully, I mean, if these brands are, are are clever, there's enough there's enough space for more brands to sort of come into the market. And mm. you know, because and it's not a case of you know, be, be, you know, that's supported by this kind of infinitely growing number of people. No, more people are, are prepared to have more than one bike, more than two bikes, more than three bikes. Some of them. Um, and they'll need maybe, you know, some will, as you say, uh, will, you know, make the right decision by a curve, which can do a lot. Um, but others will have a, a lightweight race bike or they'll have a winter bike or they'll have a gravel bike or yeah. a mountain bike or, you know, people are kind of really exploring more. And it's great that you can, you know, I mean, I'm referencing curve and obviously joking around, but Curve's a great example because they've been around for a while. But a customer who purchases the curve becomes a part of a family and becomes a part of something that they're seeing other people referencing around the world. Mm. You don't get that just purely down to scale with a, uh, with a, with a specialized or a Trek or a Canyon. Yeah. You get, you get, you know, good products, but you don't get that level of finesse that, and that level of community that you would get. And I think consumers are really hungry for that. You know, that mode of consumer is, if I'm buying this, I'm not buying just a product. I'm buying into something. I'm That's buying exactly it. In, into something bigger. And I think you're definitely seeing a lot more trend to that. So I think that is because once you've been in a category, so cycling for a long, yeah. for a while, four, mm. five, six years, as you said, your tastes have been refined. You are now a mm. connoisseur of, oh. of that arena. You've served mm. your time. You've you've had your mistakes. You've you've bought the 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 bike that everybody laughed at because you bought one of those wow you, you've you, you've bought the bib shorts that didn't fit you 10 times in a row you've done you've done all these little silly things mm. and you've refined what you like and now mm. you when you spend your money you're quite right mm. you want to buy into a concept mm. that reflects mm. not necessarily who you are but what you want to be you know reflect, yeah. Yeah. it reflects it reflects that, that you're like where you would love to see yourself it's aspirational exactly that exactly yeah. that that's and one I, of the reasons why we really like working with 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 attacker they kind of um at the beginning of what year beginning of 18 they kind of released this thing and it was all about their brands being your alter ego yeah and i just i just love that as a concept because it's like you can be one way at work and maybe you can have a very serious job or a very you know kind of a, you know a very work intensive labor intensive job yeah but on your on your bike you have that freedom yeah. to be that person you want to be, you know, to be that, you know, that animal on the bike or it's that whole, that other side of you that gets to come out on the bike. And I just think that's great. Like, yeah. And, yeah, I, uh, I, 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 and people's spending patterns reflect that. And I think it's so the small community led businesses are the best at taking the temperature of the yeah. consumer and right. delivering things that fit with that. You, yeah. you know, I'm a big admirer of people like Restrap, for instance, and you've seen the development process and kind of how they've kind of shifted themselves mm. at, and then you see all the other little brands that have spawned off the side of it that are now mm. going, oh, cool, yeah, right, we're going to put mm. our own trendy slant on, mm. on the path that you're creating mm. because the consumer mm. is in this space. Skin yeah. Grows Back is an excellent mm. example of that. You look mm. at the the kind of functionality that Restrap Design, the Skin Grow Back and go, oh, we can do our own version of that, but we're going to make it look cooler. And everyone goes, oh, great, 
get Absolutely. me get me a pile of that and i've got some mm. of that and i bloody love that stuff mm. um that's a great example of understanding where the trends are going now the biggest challenge that comes to those brands in the next three four five years are trends change you know how do you stay on top how mm. do you you know it will the consumer swing away again from bike packing and adventure riding into other things you know mm. will, will, will that will the numbers in that arena thin out and everybody moves on mm. to the next thing mm. that, that's the question and, and if so can those businesses that are entrenched in those areas adapt with the consumer can they take the temperature and understand the customer and not only the consumer, but can they react to competitors? Because if something's working, there'll be more people wanting a piece of the pie. Yes, I, yes. I think yeah, I shared this with you before. There's, yeah. If you look at the, the figures, I think there's something like 162 apparel, cycling apparel brands marketed into the UK right now. 162. It's, it blows my mind. I mean, the, the, the reality is, is there's not enough cyclists to sustain that. No, not even close. Um, so, But of that, there's a good proportion that are sensible and maybe a little bit long in the tooth that are adapting and, you know, paving forward. And there's going to be a tiny, tiny percentage of the, the rest of those that will be able to make something from it. Yeah. Um, but it will take a stroke of genius or a lot of hard graft and a lot of money, probably. Mm. Um, but you, you're right. I mean, they have to. And I think maybe with the, those kind of upper tier brands of bikes, for example, they've been so used to putting out a product and marketing saying this is what you need yeah and they i think they're now starting to react to going actually what does our customer want yeah yeah and that that's that comes down to marketing you know and it, it's actually we're actually for the for the first time ever guys we're listening yeah i mean i'm being I'm, i am speaking generally but it, I, I you are starting to see those trends and that is reflected in their marketing as opposed to just saying you know this is what you need and this is why blah blah yeah and, most and, people are going actually i don't want that so they're going oh all right well what do you want oh yeah we can make that and i think it's driven by where do you get your information from as a business right mm. you can see the businesses that get lazy on where they get their intel from because they've got yeah. to a certain size you know they don't have time to be going out on the local club run every week they mm. don't have time to get to as many events as they'd like to do they've got their key events in their calendar which are centered around them and they speak mm. to a very kind of um uh insulated audience that already mm. kind of know their brand very very often as mm. opposed to something that i always enjoyed with jam we did this thing called jam on a roll where we'd mm. go to a different part of the country every other yeah. month and mm. we just hang out we, we'd mm. normally center around a bike shop and we just do mm. two or three rides and we'd say whoever lives in the local area come ride with us chat yeah, to us come hang. T yeah, yeah. tell us what you like about the sport mm. tell us what you like about us tell us what you mm. don't like about the local bike shop we're hanging out in you know, mm. do, you know talk to us about the sport about things mm. that excite you and mm. by doing that we got a constant update and and um feeling for what people actually really valued yeah, in, in a brand in mm. a product and more importantly what they didn't value in a product mm. uh, it was as much sometimes about what they were saying as what they weren't saying but you could only do that if you were able if you've got the time to listen and you put yourself in the right place to listen if mm. you get all your business intel from the email you distribute to your own subscribers asking them yeah. three or four open questions or closed yeah. questions and that mm. shapes your marketing strategy mm. well sorry it's going to be received yeah. by most people like yeah. most marketing is it's going to fall on deaf ears yeah absolutely i am um, i've got this new thing i'm trying to do on my personal instagram is I feel like I, I'm the curator of my own Instagram feed, right? I, I'm completely mm. in control over what I see 
to a large extent. I, sure. I, I, I keep a certain cap on how many people I want to follow. And mm-hmm. if people are posting stuff that I'm not in the mood to see, I'll just unfollow them for a while. Even if they're a close friend of mine and I think they're chatting rubbish on a certain topic for a few months, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just quiet them down because I want things that give me energy and make me positive. Yeah. Right? I've been doing the same thing. Yeah. Now, just remo- removing people because I'm like, actually, I don't feel good reading this. So exactly. I'm now, out. That's so important, right? So by going through that process, what I'm then giving myself the tool is that advertising comes in and I will look at every advert that comes in and I'll make an assessment on it. And I'll hmm. either say, yes, I'm happy for this to be here and I'll scroll past or I'll say, no, I'm not happy. And I will either leave a comment Oh, really? Or I'll go on the report this as spam because I want Mm. to feed back to the algorithm. Mm. I didn't enjoy that. And I'm making that decision based on the quality of the advert put in front of me. If the advert comes up and it's for a bog standard product, which has nothing to do with me, I'm going to tell the algorithm, sorry, that's that's not to my tastes. Or if it's a product that I think is advertised badly, I'll leave them a comment going, I don't get this. And I don't mind if the comment is of a slightly negative nature and I'm not doing it to bring people down. I'm trying to give Mm. them feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if I got. Go on, sorry. I, I got probably the worst Instagram ad I've ever seen, and I'm surprised that a product like this even exists. Um, <laughs> I, I I nearly bought it just because of how ludicrous it is. I love that. It's a necklace, yeah. right? But on this necklace, this is absolutely true. On this necklace is this um, like a almost like a plastic, uh, quite firm but squeezy ball, and. You basically put it in your teeth and you chew on it to increase the size of your jaw. Oh, fuck. Oh, wow. am I allowed to swear on this? I mean, sorry, but I Absolutely. mean, wow. Oh, my God, that's... It's like, this. how does this product even exist? Yeah, yeah. And, and there's the before and after is amazing. Mm. And you couldn't really tell. <laughs> <laughs> I love the good before and after, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, but, but, but I think things like that, you would... What Jam always did well as a brand, I think, anyway, the things that I was the most proud of were where we'd be able to create conversation loops between our yeah. customers yeah. and people that were engaging with us. And we would really, really listen. Um, yeah. And I think that's invaluable. I think if you had to wind the clocks back 30 years and you tell an emerging business that I could give you a tool that in the palm of your hand, you can speak to 5,000 people straight away and get their instant feedback on whether they like something or not, their mm. minds would be blown. Yeah, their minds would literally mean? melt but Mm. as a brand holding in my hand an instagram account Mm. i have the ability to do exactly that Mm. and i have the ability to pay attention to Mm. what they don't like to what they do like to what they comment with now so when i'm advertised something i try and ask myself huh do i genuinely like this ad and if i don't i will tell them why Mm. i think that and if they're not willing to listen well more Mm. for them and it's funny because quite often there are people that i know are in the advert itself as i tell you why i don't like this advert because i know that's not how he rides and he looks looks daft here i know you're faking a shot and it makes me feel uncomfortable that's Um, funny i think we've got two points there i think a really good retail and what's the future look like and uh mode of the customer Mm. so um coming back onto our first point um and i like the fact that you've referenced it because i think it is important um is the professional side of the sport so what are your initial thoughts and feelings on that so i I will come out and say i am a fan of pro cycling in a big way i I am a at heart i'm a giddy child Mm. when the tour de france is on Mm. my telly's on and i'm watching it i don't care what's going what else is going on i'm watching that more than cricket oh 
Uh, if cricket's on, I'll have two screens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm, the, I'm the same way with cricket. If there's a test match on, I don't miss a single minute of it. I'm a sports wow. fan. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, th- there's, a lot of, there's a lot of similarities between the two that I think makes me enjoy it even more <laughs> so. But anyway, I'm a big fan of pro cycling. I'm not a big fan of what I perceive as a lack of direction and awareness in pro cycling to help the sport as a whole. Now, again, that's just my opinion, but I think the reason I put down the pro sport being part of the makeup of what the industry looks like in 10 years Mm. is because it serves a purpose. It serves a Mm. big overarching halo role. Yeah, it it filters down, yeah. Yeah, but even if you don't like pro cycling even if you don't know the names of the teams and who rides and you don't really care for it you don't watch it at all it still impacts the industry mm. in a big old way yeah absolutely. Um, and i think because of that it is worth being cognizant of what state it is in mm. and and kind of what's going on, on on the pro level like i said even if you don't like it mm. um so yeah i mean it's one of those things that aside from the obvious areas where it for want of a better phrase, shits the bed um, (laughs) and allows the consistent topic of doping to creep into the sport over and over and over again. If Mm. if we we put that aside Mm. to being an obvious lack of authority and governance and things of this nature, which hopefully one day they will sort out. Mm. For me, the sport is there to inspire people to ride a bike. Absolutely. It's not to inspire competitiveness it doesn't need to inspire everyone to go get a, a racing license and a crit bike and get on it it's there to inspire people to ride bikes and there's something very uh, uh beautiful about the fact that i mean you know we have our coffee shop in isha which is mm. known as the olympic corridor yeah and it was yeah. used in the in the um uh 2012 olympics as for both the time trial and the road race mm. uh, and then in the year prior to that 2011 all the way through to the present day there is a professional race world tour race that comes down this very high street yeah and goes to box hill and all the rest of it there's not many other sports where you can go and play in the same arena quote unquote yeah, yeah. Uh, as the pros and yeah. it's excellent you know yeah. and even though you know for example uh you know uh, Geraint thomas's time up box hill is going to be faster than i you know can do it yeah probably yeah yeah maybe (laughs) um the feeling that we get to the top is the same as in there's you have to really work hard to get to the top at your faster speed it doesn't matter that he's significantly quicker that feeling's the same and that's really exciting and i'm not sure there's many other sports you can do that i entirely agree the relatability of cycling is what makes cycling so interesting right it's why it is a a free to access on the road kind of sport for the consumer Mm. Now, now that brings one one problem will come on to that. But I think if we look at the heart of the sport, mm. does it deliver on its key, almost its mandate for existing, I suppose, is does it inspire people to get on bikes yeah. and ride bikes and enjoy the process and mm. the, the freedom, the adrenaline, the endorphins that come mm. with riding a bicycle and it's it's a weird one because in this ever-changing world we've talked about, you know, what does the, what mode is the consumer in and things like that. I think that, that kind of thinking needs to come into how the sport is governed and, and mm. to make sure, are they always checking? Are we doing our best here to inspire people to mm. ride? 
all the time, this is a great example, all the time there's a debate raging about equality in cycling, mm. it's not doing its best at inspiring people to ride, right? right. It doesn't matter what you think about the, the financial ability of running a women's pro tour or not, et cetera, et cetera. Those things are important conversations to have. Mm. But on, on the bigger picture, the whole time that that is left unresolved or is mm. unsatisfactory to a lot of people cycling isn't living up to what it should be doing it's, it's yeah. not inspiring as many people as it can be mm. and i think you know that that's one of the key things that is a, a travesty that has never been fully sorted out and, and unfortunately i don't see any solution coming in the near future we could be having the same chat in 10 years time when it relates to equality in the sport mm. something so- that you don't get now in football for a great example so I, I, I think I agree, and there's part of me that disagrees as well. So I agree. I, I like the fact that you reference pro cycling because the reality is, is it is the you know from a just purely a financial standpoint, I'm guessing it is the leading marketing driver in cycling. As in the bikes, that the, yeah, those bikes yeah. that the pros are riding, they're going to be the main bikes that the um, uh, that those brands are going to be trying to sell to the customer. They'll be the kind of aspirational, and then everything leads to that point. So, okay, if you can't afford this, and you can afford this, and if you can't afford that, you can afford that, and so and so and so on. Exactly, and it looks and feels a little yeah. bit like what the pros riding. Yeah, exactly. So you have that kind of feeling, and then I love the fact that um, you know when you know I mean other brands have done, but when Team Sky was selling off their old bikes, people were queuing up to buy it you know and I think it's a really exciting thing because you can feel a part of it you know mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I mean I'm not sure why you'd want to buy a secondhand trash bike but hey ho <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I'm joking um, so, so, but, but, but there's something cool in that a portion oh, of the people will want that it's great and I love it because they feel a part of it and they yeah. they pr- and they leave the race numbers on and they it's that wonderful connection where you know I mean we see a few of them come through the shop you know the, either the Team Sky or the Quebec ones and you've got the guys like hey this was uh, this was Ian Stannard's bike yeah, or hey yeah, this yeah, was yeah. Ed Val Bosenhagen's bike you know it's, <laughs> it's just so so cool yeah um, I do going back to what we were talking about our brands listening. I do believe that brands are listening from the pro side things as well. And I suppose that's where I see that level of, 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 uh, of optimism in that in the last couple of years, you have seen a couple of teams, one in particular mm. is that uh, education first. Yeah, yeah. They've allowed a bit of freedom for and how it comes about doesn't really matter. But they have allowed freedom for some of their riders to break away from the normal schedule to do rides that they want to do. Yeah. And they're documenting it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So it, it, it just adds that other level of relatability to the pro sport. And I think that uh, that, is, that is, can only be very good for the business. I think also, uh, um, and uh, you know, we'll kind of break this, you know, these parts down. I just want to get out before I forget. Mm. With regards to the, the women in sport, I think that in cycling, there definitely has been a lot done. Is it as good as it has been? No. But I take a bit of comfort in the fact that across a wider society, there is real change. Like if we, uh, you know, we were talking about it with our um, uh, 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 women's race team on our podcast last week. 
I like the fact that with regards to women's football, the press referred to them as the England football team, not the yes. England women's football team. Yes, agreed. Yeah, yeah. And that is a huge, huge, huge statement. And I think we're starting to see the same in cycling. And and people are just they're looking at football to see women playing as normal. And I feel very excited yeah. about those young people growing up seeing that. I think you're starting to see the same, or and you'll see more of the same within um, uh, within uh, the cycling as well. So I think that is. I do see optimism there. So I agree with you a touch and I have some level of optimism, just not nearly as much as I hoped I would do by this point. You know, I, when I was working with the, with the power meter company, the distribution side, we were a sponsor at British cycling. Yeah. We, hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of sponsorship cost goes into that kind of arrangement. Like it's, yeah. it's big money. I, mm. I would be sat at the velodrome there around the table with all the other corporates who put money into the pot, you know, mm. the representative from Team Sky, the representative from HSBC and, and all these other things. And um, so often it would come up in terms of how uh, the, the sport needed to be doing more to help showcase equality in the sport and British yeah. cycling were actually quite a good example of this they would always make sure there was a diverse mix of the men and women in every photo and you know yeah. you would never have a photo of just one athlete mm. uh, and th- their women are a good example of, of where things have kind of gone in the right direction the problem is with British cycling is that is located around one event every four years yeah sure uh, it, it, it's not its visibility mm. is not minute, but it's not very big day to day, week to week, season to season, even nobody in the real, most people in the cycling world don't pay attention to track world championships, let alone the outside world who aren't cyclists. They don't even know Mm. what it is. Mm. Um, So it it, it annoyed me at the time we were having those discussions. And this was five, six years ago. It annoys me that now we haven't made better progress simply Mm. because how accessible, and we've already stated cycling is you don't need a football stadium and all the other stuff like put on to enable that sport to happen you you've already got a model there for the men's for the you've already got a model from the men should i say it's a shame that governance hasn't been more proactive in, in balancing up sooner i'm sure there might be light at the end of the tunnel i just i suppose my and again this is all kind of tying in nicely because previously um whilst you know and this is what i was talking about with with the the women's race team mm. is that the reality is we're in a really male dominated sport um, and yeah. it ha- has has been for decades yeah. and it is starting to change but it is changing slower than it should if we look at that from the pro cycling peloton down that's kind of always been the sphere of influence but now that we're starting to see those glimpses of of, of those kind of top level brands and top level governance listening I think that circle's starting to come back where actually the bottom level here is starting to influence what happens at the top. Now, it's yeah. happening slowly, but it is happening. And I suppose that's where the responsibility mm. of brands and retail to play their part to make sure that it doesn't matter what the top's doing, we are going to make cycling as accessible as possible. Uh-uh. I, think, I think that is where pro cycling, I, I hope, will continue to change and shine more light on what's happening. Sure, I, I agree with you in that that is a positive thing, and that has been the biggest area of increase I think over the last few years. Mm. It's disappointing that that isn't spearheaded yes. by governance yeah. that would make that a lot easier. It shouldn't mm. be the responsibility of the small grassroots to make sure that those things are thriving. It yeah. should be led from above, led yeah. from the front. Now, I mean, the other thing that, and this isn't just you know wanting 
uh, equality for equality's sake. This, this is the, I think that is what should be a standard for inspiring mm. the mm. community as a whole to get on bicycles. You should be able to see, like, not just, uh, and to put it bluntly, not just, you know, 20-something white males riding bikes in light yeah. grey in the hills in France. That's yeah, the that's image right. you yeah, get yeah. on the front yeah. of the newspaper. That's yeah. the only image you see. Uh, and I think that's a disappointment. Now, I think... The other area that, you know, without wanting to get too bogged down in, in just genocide, the other area that they're not yet taking advantage of and doing well enough with is personality. Mm. And again, this should link into both mm. genders, but we've only got one Peter Sagan, mm. and he is by far the biggest personality in the sport. Mm. And he is excellent for the sport because other, you know, kids see him that are into other sports and they look at that guy, that guy's cool. What What's mm. he doing? In the, you know, oh, he's, he's wheeling a, a mountain bike, but he's a road racer or he's doing mm. this or he's doing that or he's got mm. this, he looks snazzy. There's so sometimes little character mm. in the sport, which I think character inspires people to come get involved, inspires mm. them to want to, to want to look at it, to enjoy the event, to do whatever. I think we need to find a way whereby people are relating more and more to the, to the personalities that I'm sure must be in the peloton somewhere. Again, you know, like, I think what you're saying is correct. I suppose I am maybe choosing to kind of see those, those glimpses of, of, uh, of um, opportunity and glimpses of optimism. Because I think that has always been top down. And I think that um, previously in the past, when maybe there have been um, people that have spoken out uh, or just kind of spoken their mind, for example, they've been put into a box. And so there's, you know, kind of um, either directly or indirectly, you're not allowed to present your personality because you're part of a team and all the rest of it. Mm. With the likes of, you know, things like um, uh, a backstage pass that Orica Greenage used to do, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. allowing a little bit more personality to come through. I mean, look, Mitch Docker and his podcast is excellent. I mean, it's a yeah. small part. Um, again, I, I see that starting to shift. And I say, I'm the same, mate. I want to see more personality. I, I, I'm really enjoying people like, for example, Bradley Wiggins now, because yeah. he's incredibly outspoken and he just says mm-hmm. it as he's, because that's who he is. Yeah. And, he looks back and goes, actually, I didn't like that person I was back then. And I wish I could have, you know, kind of spoken out a bit more. Mm, mm. The iconic image of him sat on the throne celebrating yeah. the, time, the time trial victory. That image alone must have inspired a big yeah. percentage of people that now ride bikes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. There, there, I think there's just not enough of that. Like I said, if you could have, if you look at pro football, Every team has got their superstars and they've all got their personality and huge followings in their own rights and their own sponsorship mm. deals. And they do so much that inspires kids to follow into that path and to support that. And when you become a supporter of a sport, more often than not, become a supporter for life. But maybe um, like never before, because of so- things like social media, people mm-hmm. have access to the individuals. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important. And, you know, like, for example, you can follow your favorite cyclist, you can follow your favorite footballer and actually have real time insight into what they're doing day to day. And the real personalities will shine through. They don't have to make the headlines like, you know, Cipollini used to do and, and not, yeah. you know, all these yes. things. They can just they can just be themselves. So I suppose that that's exciting. Um, it, it, it is. I want to see more. Yeah, of course. I, I, as a fan, I want to see more of that. Do I think sticking that rider's power numbers on the screen in front of me and inspires me nah not really to be honest it it will Um, it will inspire a small percentage of cyclists yes but if we're talking about 
the longevity of an industry, we need to have more people involved. And that could be involved at whether it be a weekend ride or it could just be involved in in you know uh, you know riding to you know like Hannah and I you know Hannah's not a sort of you know full on cyclist but she can ride a bike mm. so we've got a couple of bikes and we'll go out and just ride along the canal you know and yeah. we can go out for like a few hours at a time for her that's her level of of enjoyment and there's more people that would possibly get into that if they understood and had access to the sport now i personally say that giro has a huge responsibility to to if someone feels inspired enough to go and get a bike we then need to do our part to make sure they're supported entirely um and that's where you know that's where we have been good but we've also haven't been great and we just need to continue to work on yeah um, i mean it's, it's one of those things that it you see the sentiment present in pro cycling they always reference how you know we're the only sport we can go for free mm. and stand on the side of the road and see your heroes yeah, whiz past yeah. and i love that mm. but that must be caveated you, you mm. could take that sentiment great that's cool but also let's note you see him whiz past for 10 seconds mm. so value entertainment wise entertainment mm. return is pretty sodding low most mm. if you're still on the side of the road and you don't have a clue on what's going on up the road mm. but also the the concept that they've always tried to push is the traditional kind of like the, the, the pit lane before the before the race you can go wander around and see the teams warming up and all this kind of thing mm. and you don't you, normally you don't need a pass for that stuff you go mm. to any uci 2.1 race anywhere you walk around you shake your hands of anybody you want kind of thing and i've yeah. always liked that but it's it's there's always something lacking it, mm. it just doesn't seem to uh, it doesn't seem to have enough people engaged I think it's a shame for something that should be so open it's just always like ah, yeah mm. I see what you're saying you've got this level of access but do you have this level of access do you actually really mm. feel like you have access as a mm. as a supporter on the side of the road ving they're gone cool mm. that was good I love that see how fast they went cool it's really fast but, but then there's the there's that, you know, kind of big splendor of it all. And it's an experience, isn't it? You know, it's like going to a football stadium and kind of you're, it's not just the football you're watching. It's the kind of being a part of everybody. And yeah, I mean, it is a very quick moment. Um, I mean, one of my highlights of the year is going out, or well, we didn't get to do it this year, but going out to Flanders and watching the race there. Sure. Yeah, I know you um, love that. And, you know, I mean, look, they come up three times. So what we're seeing in for like maybe community, you know, or, or in total, what, a couple of minutes? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's that whole, you know, it's the beers you're having and it's that whole side of it, which is, I just think it's a great sport. And if I'd love more people to kind of share in that. Yeah, I, um, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I, I'm torn because I, I love watching the sport, but I love watching the sport as a whole. It, yeah. for, me, for me, watching a glimpse of a bike race for 10 seconds, the bike mm. race has been good, but I'm enjoying the aspect of drinking mm. with the people around me or chatting with mm. people around mm. me just as mm. much, right? Mm. Jessica, my partner, is riding the Tour de France course this summer yeah, with, the inter- with the internationals. I- I- I've got an invitation to go along and kind of like f- follow some of that and-, and blah, blah, blah. I'm really torn because if I'm there, I can't see the race mi- mi- minute by minute, hour by hour. I don't know who's yeah, sure. I don't know who's 10 minutes up the road. And that's the stuff that I, that's where the entertainment yeah, value yeah, yeah. is, right? Yeah. And so again, when we look at the state of the pro sport, my point is there's mm. there's an equality side, there's a, mm. um, a character and personality side. And then 
there's the commercial aspect of it's 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 a complete car crash. If you look at how the sport makes money and the few people that control the money and the lack of trickle down of the money, it, you'd look yeah. at it again. If you were to have an independent review, they like give it a D minus. It's like this is this is bog standard at best. What why is there none of this successful television money filtering down into the teams to enable them to do you know pushing the personality or have yeah. a women's team or or whatever it happens to be grassroots and, yeah all, and all, that, all, of that, yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff and i understand it's because the, the the races are owned by businesses and yada 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 and i don't know what kind of revolution is necessary to get this to change but the whole time that that isn't changing people lose interest Hmm. people enjoy it for a couple of years and then they kind of go off the boil about it hmm. uh, and I think that's the biggest shame because it's it's an excellent sport you you yeah. you watch 20 exceptionally talented athletes chase each other up the side of a mountain at full tilt knowing they're like at 170 180 beats per minute hmm. get, get like and you can relate because you've been a cyclist and you've, you yeah. know hills you go I yeah. know that's really hard but look at what they're doing it yeah, is yeah, inspiring yeah. It is, yeah. If, if you've got yourself to the fact that you're sat in front of the telly watching it and enjoying it, and there are kind of too many things that keep people from getting to that point, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I, I, I definitely, I definitely agree. I, I suppose, you know, I'm listening from the standpoint of, you know, my, my, my coffee shop, and I'm going right. Are we playing our part to make sure that we can support that, and to make sure that if people show an interest, we can help not only them. Uh, get into it but mm. stay in yeah, yeah. and build that community around it because you know we love having the races on in the shop and people come in and talk about it and you know it's it's um yeah it's just yeah it's excellent it, um it, it's a strange one isn't it because you, you and i don't have the answers for how one might re-commercialize or reshape mm-hmm. pro cycling as a, as a sport there are lots of options i mean you look at japan kirin cycling is like a 10 billion dollar industry it's yeah, wow. it's it's massive. It's massive, mm. massive, massive. Uh, uh, they they love the element of the track side over mm. here. Track yeah. is so sparsely followed, even within cycling communities, mm. because people see it as very complex. Which, you, if you think about it, it is. If you tr- if you mm. sit down a ten year old and try and explain what's going on in the multitude of races involved in a race day, they go cross eyed and lose interest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you mean he's at the front but he's not winning? No, yeah. no, because he's 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 racing for this guy. And you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And by yeah. the time you've explained it, a different style of race has already yeah. started. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's great. It, it, I love it. <laughs> I love going to a track day. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but the bulk of cyclists aren't exposed to it and enjoy it because of various mm. because. Of, yeah. its entertainment value is questionable. So I think it's one of those things that as governance, are they looking at direct entertainment? Because that's what I think seals the future. I think you're right. And, and you know, I mean, obviously we're in cycling and we love it and we're very passionate about it. But actually the from like a economic and just a, a, a per capita basis, it is a very small industry. Mm. But for people who are in it, it's very all-consuming. And I, there is definitely opportunity for it to grow. But I think all of these things that we... that you've raised pro pro sport retail uh, and the, the the mode of the consumer they i think they all need to kind of in succinct work together and support one another and i think the 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 closer that the pro peloton comes to that consumer i think the better and if that starts listing more and more i, I feel i feel very excited yeah um, I, I think when i when i try and summarize the three points and what i think there needs to be sorry why i think they are linked 
Mm. If they are all individually strong, the sport will be strong. If they're yes. all individually strong and communicating with each other, the sport will yes. thrive. Yes. And that's the thing that I think is the disappointing thing, having now worked in this industry for a long time, seen under the bonnet and seen a lot of the skeletons under there, seen a lot mm. of the successes and a lot of the cool stuff. Mm. The thing that's always kind of disappointed me is that it's not nearly as big and enjoyed as it should be for yeah. what for what it is. It is mm. so accessible. It's mm. it's yeah. It's not as easy as just going out for a run, but it's not far removed from that. No, you, not you, at all. You, you don't need a team. You don't need a sports field. You don't need um, you know all kind like referees and all this kind. Of, you can go and do riding at a very basic level with a very simple two hundred pound bicycle you pick up from Halfords. Other stores are mm. available, um, <laughs> and that can be your way into enjoying it. Mm. I just, I suppose I am, I'm at a point of disappointment and I'm lacking the optimism when I look forward to the Mm. future to see any change. I'd love it. I'd love to have more communication between the pro peloton and retail, the pro peloton Mm. and the consumer. I'd love for Mm. all of them to be stronger because they're prioritizing the thing that they should be focusing on, pro peloton, entertaining people, Mm. the retailer, servicing people, the consumer, Mm. enjoying riding their bike. I just want to see more of it cohesively. Yeah. Well, I think that sums it up pretty well. Um, yeah, I think we pretty much covered covered everything. I know there's a few bits that we haven't spoken about. Maybe we can do that another time. Mm. But um, but I'll uh, I think I'll leave you uh, leave you to it there, my man. Yeah, thank you. Um, um, I, I, I hate to be the, the the pessimist in the room because it's a sport mm. I love and enjoy. I suppose my thing is no, no, I'd, I, I'd want to challenge us uh, and you as well. You know, because we always talk about this kind of thing. How do we make mm. sure? We're pushing our sport to be as be- as good as it can be. I don't think it's I don't think it's pessimistic. I think it's it's coming from a place of wanting to be constructive, mm. and and you know I yes I choose to kind of see the 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 opportunity and optimism side of things, but from both the angles that we're coming from, they require a lot of work and they require a lot of dedication. And I can say, you know, well, it starts with me because I'm a part of our community. I'm a part of our cycling community. So what can I do to make sure that I'm playing my small part in the bigger picture? Mm. But it also needs to make sure that everybody else who's, but from all the, from the top peloton all the way down are also doing their bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, cool. for, and for the right reasons. That, that's the a- thing there. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah. All right. So we'll leave it there. Uh, guys, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this one. Um, as I say, this is just a conversation between two pals and yeah. we'd love your thoughts and, uh, and feelings on it as well. So, um, you know, we'll put all the links down below, reach out to us and uh, yeah. Thanks, George. Good thank, to speak to you, pal. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for the invitation. And thank you, everybody, for listening to our, our little chat. Like you said earlier on, usually it would be over a pint somewhere. But yeah, uh, yeah. I'm glad we got a chance to do this for everybody else to enjoy. And so all you listeners out there, once you've um, uh, uh, gone and watched the video, uh, you know, George talking about jam, go also learn how to make some sourdough bread. I am, <laughs> I am doing it today as well. So today's my, my, my pre-bake day. So go and follow all, all of the videos there. That, it's great, George. I'm very excited. That's on our YouTube channel. And I, I loved doing that. That was great. Thanks for getting yeah. involved, mate. <laughs> cool, man. Good Cheers, to speak dude. to you, pal. Bye-bye. Thank you.